I had a great scene, as you just said that uh, yesterday, all the kids were lined up, 22 kids. And I said, who wants to quit? Let's call it day 12. They have one last event that's going to take place starting today at around 2 p.m. called the death race. Who wants to quit? Who wants to go home? Two kids stepped forward, which was annoying. I resolved that. But one kid, was his foot was starting to step forward, and he started crying. I mean, he was, he was crying. He was, he was holding back tears, holding himself back from walking forward. And I said, Henry, what's up? And he said, I, I want to quit, but I don't want to quit. But I want to quit. But I don't want to quit. I want to finish. <laughs> he, couldn't recon- he couldn't reconcile everything going on, all the emotions. But it's really hard. But I want to quit. And that's what goes through everybody's mind, adult or child, or right? Like, we all want to quit because the number one motivation for a human being, the number one thing that motivates us, according to those a lot smarter than me, is the avoidance of discomfort. Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. My guest today is Joe DeSena, who started the Spartan Race. I'm sure you've heard of it, or in Tough Mudder, whom they purchased, where you do these obstacle courses and they're very challenging. He also hosts the Spartan Up podcast, which I highly recommend. For those who know about me and my habits of burpees, cold showers, rowing a marathon, picking up garbage daily, and things like that, Joe has made it his mission to bring that the joy, the service, the happiness, the resilience, grit, toughness, and all those things to the world, which I'm trying to do too. He's bringing it in a different way. It's more about fun and climbing mountains over stewardship, but I think that there's a lot of overlap between these things. Some people expect that tough means suffering, but I hope that you'll catch what I find at the root of Joe's message, and I believe his life, which is the emotion. I heard fun, connection, playfulness, things like that. It's not just the physical activity that you see someone doing. It's the meaning both behind what they're doing and the meaning that these things create, which is fun, which is connection, which is doing things with people. I happened to catch him while he was running a two-week program for kids with at least one event called the death race. I think maybe the whole thing was called the death race. In any case, you'll hear how the kids respond, how the parents respond, how kids in inner cities respond to these challenges that really make life enjoyable and fun and make life worth living. It's not what you think from the outside. The point is it's how we can respond if we choose to act, not just accept what life hands to us. So here's Joe. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Joe DeSena. Joe, how are you doing? How you doing, Josh? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And we were just chatting before. I was listening to your... Actually, I have to say, if people were to pause my podcast right now and listen to Spartan Up for like a whole bunch of episodes, I would not feel bad at all. I mean, there's a lot of podcasts out there and people out there who write books and do TED Talks and uh, things about how to improve your life. And you're living it in an uninhibited way. And you're sharing that you're bringing other people who are doing that. It's, I love it. I'll go even one step further. We're in the midst right now of an impromptu kids camp that we brought. We brought, how many kids do we have, Paul? 22 kids? 22 kids we have on, on the farm right now. And we are kicking their asses in a way that's never been done before. So much so that most of the parents are losing their minds. Phones had to be taken away. These kids are doing some hard shit. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, if we're not doing that, if we're not living the mission, I'm not happy. 
Yeah. Okay. So you do Spartan races. Uh, and I presume that you're doing that with the kids. You're, you're giving them obstacles and things like that. Times 10 because the kids can't escape. Uh huh. So like with adults, right? They quit. They give you all kinds of reasons. They got to catch a flight, whatever it is. The kids can't leave. <laughs> they're, they're stuck here. So but we've been able to go, um, it's really stretched the rubber band. How many burpees have they done on average so far today? I would say 500 maybe burpees in the course of the, yeah, 500 probably. But, but the bigger thing has been carrying rocks up the mountain. Uh-huh. That's, been, that's been the bigger uh, task during these two weeks. Now, I've heard you say many times um, how you don't know when life is going to give you these challenges. So be prepared, be resilient, develop these social emotional skills. And in fact, I was watching one of these videos and it was March 10th, 2020. And so I presumably at that point, you, you'd probably heard of there's a virus out there. And then like suddenly the entire planet gets its ass kicked. And how do you look at what's going on right now? Because I also just read on Reddit. I was on Reddit and they were talking about like, who else is handling this unhealthily? And everyone, there were post after post after post about marijuana, alcohol, masturbating, TV. And I'm like, I'm having this. I was talking to someone yesterday who um, he's doing a project with the school, with a grade school, where he's having them, they, each summer they have to do something in service. And now they are trapped in. And so they're all complaining that they can't do anything. I'm like, are you joking? There's more need now. There's more to serve. It's a great Greatest time to get healthy, to do good, to get stuff done. I mean, these two weeks with these kids, I wish I had 500 kids here, 5,000 kids. Like, I'm just putting them through the paces. When, when would I ever have this time where the world stopped and maybe people are rethinking things? So it's a shame if there's a, if there's a, a large part of the population or any part of the population that's using this time in negative ways. Look, if it were me, I mean, you already know my answer, but if it were me and I was a government and I had the ability to shut things down, like I would have shut down liquor stores. I would have, shut, mm-hmm. I would have, I would have mandated that everybody wakes up at 5 a.m. during this pandemic. I would have mandated burpees every day, cold shower. I would have turned hot water off everywhere. We are doing fucking cold showers during the entire pandemic and just build a little more resiliency and perseverance. I mean, you know, you know all this. Like, I believe perseverance wins over, over anything, over intelligence, over strength, over anything. Like if you, if you have that mindset of like, I'm just going to get through this, I will adapt and overcome. You win. Can't beat that. And so I don't want to bring anyone down, but what do you think when, when you look at the people who are handling this? So they're struggling. And to me, it's like, this is the, one of the great opportunities. Obviously I'd rather people weren't dying and suffering, from things that they can't outside of their control. I, I believe that you're trying to change our culture. You're trying to bring something in. It's not just one person at a time because you're doing something much more than just working with one person at a time. My, it's my whole passion. It's the reason I, I wake up in the morning. I think there was a part of my life where I just wanted to go conquer things personally, climb mountains, do this, do that. That was a bit, you know, I just had to find out, am I tough enough? Can I do it? I wanted the reward. I was addicted to that. The, the adrenaline and the dopamine, right, of doing these crazy things. But now I just feel like um, we've gotten so soft as a species, certainly in the first world, that it's a public service to try to slap people across the face and wake them up. And problem is, why, why, Joe? Why would I crawl under barbed wire? 
why would I, why would I do this? Like I got Netflix, I got my couch. I don't understand why I would do this. And some people, when the pandemic hit, some people are getting it now. Oh, maybe I should be prepared. Maybe I should be psychologically and physically prepared for any kind of a threat. You know, the ancient Spartans, I'm just going to riff here for a minute. I apologize. But the ancient Spartans, their thing was, we want freedom. But part of that, part of that concept wasn't just freedom from like a neighboring threat. Part of that freedom was I want freedom from disease. I want to be healthy. I want to be fit. I want free, like, that's how you become free, right? You can't, you can't, you're, you're shackled by being unhealthy, by not being a, a peak performer. So like, um, it's a shame if you're drowning yourself in alcohol and smoking a bunch of marijuana, my green juice showed up. Hang on. And my green juice. Hmm. You're making me thirsty. <laughs> my green juice with my paper straw. I'm very on brand for you right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is only audio, so people don't see that uh, he just showed me a, a bright green, presumably mostly vegetables, maybe a little bit of fruit, and lemon, lemon and veggies. Mm. Mm. I don't know. I'm trying to change the world, and uh, it's hard. You know, the kids here, first three days they had phones and they were texting parents. This is crazy. Got to get me out of here. Save me. Come get me. Joe's nuts. This farm it's too hard. And um, then the parents started texting my wife. Then my wife started yelling at me. Everybody's going to hate us. Th- these people are not ready for this. This is a different kind of crowd. Joe, we have to send the kids home. And I realized that we have a bigger problem than I thought, right? The kids are upset because they're being asked to be accountable. They're being asked to work hard. The parents are upset because the kids are uncomfortable being accountable and working hard. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is a disaster. He says, pauses, takes a green juice. Oh, I thought you were going to say, and then we realized, take away the phones. <laughs> well, we did take away the phones, but it was actually genius that the phones were around in the beginning because it's really the parents that need the training. Kids are easy. Kids are resilient. After a few days, they just, they're workhorses. They'll just do whatever you tell them to do. Climb a mountain, carry rocks, get in the cold river. It doesn't matter. The crying stopped. The complaining stopped. They have no phone anymore. It's really the parents. Parents are, um, and I'm a parent, you know, and, and I get it. I get it. We are wired to protect our children, but there's no real threats like, like there were. Like, I'm not jumping in front of a lion to protect my kid or, you know, protecting them from freezing by killing a fox and wrapping them or her with, with, uh, with the fur. This is uh, protecting from what? From carrying a rock up the mountain? From putting your shoes away? What are we protecting from? Okay, there's, I, I'm taking part two things. There's things that you personally do yourself, your physical uh, and mental challenges, and then leading others through these things. And I'm curious what in your heart and in your mind, when you're challenging yourself and you, there's a part of you that wants to quit and you don't, or when you're walking someone else through or push, I don't know what the right word is, motivating someone else to, to do it. Of course, there's the immediate feeling of like, oh, I want to quit, but I'm not going to quit or something like that. But I feel like there's something deeper, like you're changing the world. You're, you're restoring our species, what's the word, honor or um, Spartanness? Resilience. Resilience. Yeah. I had a great scene, as you just said that uh, yesterday, all the kids were lined up, 22 kids. And I said, who wants to quit? Because today we're, let's call it day, let's call it day 12. And uh, they have one last event that's going to take place starting today at around 2 p.m. called the death race. 
And um, who wants to quit? Who wants to go home? Two kids stepped forward, which was annoying. I resolved that. But one kid was, was the, his foot was starting to step forward and he started crying. I mean, he was, he was crying. He was, he was holding back tears, holding himself back from walking forward. And I said, Henry, what's up? And he said, I, I want to quit, but I don't want to quit, but I want to quit, but I don't want to quit. I want to finish. <laughs> he couldn't reconcile everything going on and all the emotions, but it's really hard, but I want to quit. And that's what goes through everybody's mind, adult or child or right. Like we all, we all want to quit because the number one motivation for a human being, the number one thing that motivates us, according to those a lot smarter than me, is the, the avoidance of discomfort. So it, we want to avoid discomfort at all costs because it's kept our species on the planet as long as it has. Number one thing, number one thing that motivates us as a species is the avoidance of discomfort, right? Don't fall off a cliff. Don't get frozen in the tundra. Don't get uh, sunburned. Whatever those things are, we, we avoid discomfort. It's kept us alive. But, but think, about, think about how in this day and age, it weakens us, right? Like, oh, I don't want to wake up that early. It's uncomfortable. Like, you don't even know what's happening. You're about to work out at seven in the morning, right? And um, your mind subconsciously says, I got to go get a cup of coffee. Oh, I got to check my email. Oh, I got to do this. Your mind is trying to avoid the discomfort of doing the workout. And so you can understand what Henry was going through, right? I want to step forward and I want to get out of this event because I'm uncomfortable, but oh my God, it feels really good if I finish it. And, and he was wrestling with that. And so when you ask the question, like, how do you get through something like that? What I've been able to do and what I try to teach people to do is to make quitting or make uh, being lazy more uncomfortable than the actual task, right? And to do that, you've actually got to finish a couple of hard things. I spoke to a, um, a neurosurgeon the other day, and I like to say that, you know, when somebody's about to quit, don't leave a gap in the brain. Don't leave a gap in your brain. And he said, oh my God, there actually is a physical gap in the brain when you don't complete the task. You actually leave a physical gap. Mm-hmm. And, and he said to these young children, I put him, I put him on, uh, on a Zoom call. He said to the kids, when you finish the tasks, especially between the ages of, let's call it eight and 26 years old, you're actually laying railroad tracks on your brain in a way that then you can do hard things again, whether you're starting to be an engineer, whether you're getting through uh, a a job promotion, a a relationship, whatever it is. So the more tracks you can lay in in your brain where you've finished hard things, you completed hard tasks, uh, the stronger brain, you're going to make sense. Mm -hmm. But, But I think it's fun that there's actual biology that they can see take place. So, you know, when that person or myself is going through like, I'm exhausted. I'm starving. I do not want to go these remaining 30 miles on this run. How do you get through it? The same way, you, you know, I joke the same way you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go another four minutes. I'm just going to go another four minutes. I'm just going to go another mile. I'm just going to make it to that telephone pole. And when I've spoken, you know, to elite athletes, Olympians, uh, Navy SEALs, uh, Fortune 100 CEOs, what I hear is a common thread, which is I don't want to wake up and go run 
for five hours or bike for five hours or row for five hours or go run uh, this board meeting or, or I go on this mission. And so what I tell myself, male or female, doesn't matter what profession, but a high performer, what they tell themselves is, all right, I'm just going to get out the door and then I can quit today. Or I'm just going to go bike for a half hour and then I could quit. Or I'm just going to do this and then I could. And invariably, you just do it. You get through it. Like, I don't feel like doing 300 burpees. So I say, I'm going to do 30. 30 turns to 60. 60 turns to 90. 90 turns to, you know, you just get it done. So you got it. You got to, you got to, sometimes the brain can't handle the whole task at once, right? You got to give it little bits and pieces to get through it. Yeah, I have this idea that I think a lot of people, they look at, say, Schwarzenegger. And they think he, uh, you know, back in the day, I think they think he just likes lifting weights. If I liked lifting weights, then I would do that too, but I don't like it as much as he does. And I have this theory, and maybe you've spoken to more of these elite people, uh, elite performers, that um, I think they all have tricks. Well, I call it tricks. It's like, you know, I don't really want to go for the run, but I put the shoes on. If I put the shoes on, then eventually I'm going to be running. And it just always works. But you can't start with that. You have to develop these tricks through practice. Does everyone have tricks? You call it a hack. I mean, look, like, like if, you're, if you're lifting weights like he was, sorry, all my, all my cadre, or we call them cryptea, for those not watching, the cryptea, which was the ancient uh, Spartan term for those leaders, those drill sergeants, my cryptea are showing up and, and they're being fed right now. So you're hearing, you're hearing some noise if you're listening to this podcast of... Um, of, I don't know what they're eating, eggs. You can have a green juice, yes. By the way, Charlie, for those listening that just asked for a green juice, is an is a ex-hostage, well, current hostage negotiator, Boston PD. So we have a, a, a really eclectic mix of cadre. Can I call him cadre? Cadre. I'm retired. I'm retired. Retired of hostage negotiator, a philosopher. I've got female military, male mountain warfare school, all helping with the hardening. We'll call it the hardening of these young children. If you want to be tough, you got to, you got to do tough things, be tough. You got to do tough things, be tough. We got to face tough times. But, but back to your um, the question, these hacks. Yeah, you pick them up over time, right? Like these kids, this is the first time. By the way, I don't want the kids to hear this. So I'm going to talk a little low. We have never, I've been putting on events for, t- oh, a child walked in, I can't say it. You have to remove yourself from the building. I'm saying something that you can't hear. If we're talking about you. <laughs> in, close the door all the way, please, sir. In 20 years, I've been putting on events. 20 years. I've had, you know, if you include Tough Mudder, uh, a competitor we purchased, I've had uh-huh. 10 million people come through our, our system. In those 20 years, 10 million people, I've never put on an event, nor have I personally, no, I have. I have personally uh, I've never put on an event for anybody that was longer than three days long. Uh-huh. Going 14 days. 14 days, and there's a seven-year-old competitor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's a seven-year-old competitor. But the reason I bring it up is our species is so fucking resilient. It's so strong. Mm-hmm. It's no issue. My seven-year-old, my seven-year-old has little blinky, lighty shoes on. She's competing in this. She's been going uh-huh. 14 14- fucking days so they go through this right they go through these 14 days of hell and they pick up little hacks mm-hmm. and they remember like that, that they, they come up with on their own right you don't tell them on their own. they're carrying a sandbag up the mountain they're miserable they want to quit look at henry 
Look at the example I gave you of Henry that was uh-huh. crying and he stepped forward and he went back and he stepped forward. He didn't know what to do. He wanted to quit, but he didn't want to quit. And he'll have developed a hack. He'll have developed a way to get through the next tough time that appears in his life. Want eggs? No. You want a green juice? A green juice. That's called a green juice because it's green. That's a clever name. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I still have some of the drill sergeants walking in here. This is a paper straw, environmentally friendly. <laughs> By the way, he, Josh, are you the world rest, arm wrestling champion? Third place? Third place world arm wrestling champion. Pretty good, globally, right? Sounds pretty good, yeah. Pretty good, yeah. Big guy, wouldn't want, wouldn't want to arm wrestle him. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, they develop hacks, and then those hacks work, and then, you know, it's a feedback loop, and then it reinforces, oh, when I just put my sneakers on in the morning, that gets me out the door. And if I get out the door, I tend to go at least a mile. And if I tend to go at least a mile, I tend to do three. And then it sets me on a trajectory that day where I eat healthier because I did that work this morning. Like, that was interesting. What this little guy, Henry, said when he was crying and quivering was, well, Henry, why don't you just quit? And he said to me, because I've come so far. Oh, man. (laughs) And the big smile on Joe's face just now. (laughs) Yeah, because he's this little guy, and he was getting it, right? Uh Uh-huh. He was getting it. And this is available to anyone, right? This is nothing special about these kids. I would, correct me if I'm wrong. First of all, let me just say something. These are very privileged kids. These are friends of friends. These are very privileged kids. Okay. But yes, it would be available to anybody because that's the kind of guy I are. That's the kind of organization we are. A week and a half ago, I was in inner city Orlando. I was in like the 20th worst city, uh, inner city in the country. And um, I met with a group called the Give Team. Okay. And the Give Team was started 15 years ago. Because uh, in this inner city, some kids were pushing uh, shopping carts with other children in the shopping carts into traffic. And that was the game they played. Mm -hmm. Who's going to get hit by a car? Okay. And a woman was walking by 15 years ago and saw this and said, whoa, time out. And pulled all the kids in and played a different game with them to get them away from doing that ridiculous thing they were doing. Mm -hmm. The kids showed up at her house. Ha- she, she was just a passerby, okay? A white woman, passerby, took it upon herself to do this. The next day, the kids showed up to her house. She didn't ask them to. They just showed up. Uh-huh. And so that's when the organization started. She, she started bringing the kids together and giving them things to do, teaching them life lessons. I was fortunate enough two weeks ago to go down there and meet with them. They've had thousands of kids through the program. For whatever reason, they picked up Spartan, these kids. So we support them and try to get them to some Spartan races when we're, when we're near them. We happened to be in um, Jacksonville. So they came to that event. And I spent three hours with them. I, I filmed it. And the difference between these kids I have here on the farm that I'm beating the shit out of for 14 days, including my own children, mm-hmm. and the Give Team kids, those Give Team kids, they don't need me. Like, they're already resilient. They're already tough. I, there's a video of me talking to one of the young kids down there. We're carrying sandbags. I'm out of breath. He's holding a conversation. Like, <laughs> like, this is, you know what I mean? Like, our kids have a nanny. So, by the way, I'd love to have those kids up here. But, but what they need, they need more of a helping hand and some um, opportunities 
they don't need as much of a beatdown as as my kids need, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm thinking of the parents of the kids that are there now. If you say, if they're like, hey, we want to do something, we got to fix something. You say, okay, pay for these kids from Orlando to come up here. Well, that, number one, I would do that. I think we should have a sky. Like, by the way, again, this is the first time I'm doing this. I was just doing this because of the, the, the virus and I'm stuck on the farm and I just I wanted to do something good. And I, if I'm not torturing people, I'm not happy. So in a good way. And, and um, I think if you interviewed the parents from the Give team down in Orlando and you interviewed the parents up here, the difference would be the parents up here, 80% of them, they want to protect the kids, right? And they, oh, Joe's... Joe's team is too hard on them and they're not nice and our kids are going to have psychological damage. The give team parents would say, oh my God, this is the great, I can't even believe you guys are doing this. Take them, right? Like, so they'd have gratitude towards us taking them. They, they would not get involved at all because they know it would be good for their kids. It would be a step up getting out of the inner city. And so I think, I think we got to train the parents, I guess is my point. I think we got to train the parents. Yeah, it reminds me of... Uh... Do you know Lenore Skenazi? No. She wrote a story, I think, in the New York Times 10, 15 years ago about how her 10-year-old son took the subway home and she got called the worst mother in America, which she embraced and said, yes, I am, if that's what you say. And so she started free-range kids. And now she's got a program where she, the homework in this program, kids have to go home, ask their parents, the parents are always helicoptering. So they have to go home and ask the parents for something, they have to do something that the parent did when the parent was that age that didn't, doesn't involve the parents. So in order for the parents to help, they have to step off. And right. it's, it's things like going to the store and buying, you know, buying an apple or right. fixing a skateboard or something like that. And, but they have to do it themselves. And if the parents right. get in, it messes it all up. Sounds dangerous. It's really homework for the parents. <laughs> That's right. How to train your parents. No, it's hard. Every, every generation gets a little softer because the parents were a little softer on the kids. And um, yeah, this is... Um, I wouldn't even say I'm looking over at Paul, who's one of the parents who happens to be here because uh, he, we didn't know each other. I wouldn't even say this is free range so much. I mean, we have let them go up and down the mountain. They're going to be going up at night. There are wild, scary animals out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bear. There is a bear with some cubs out there we've, we've spotted. And so I guess people listening might say, oh, you guys are irresponsible. That's ridiculous. But like, um, at some point, that child's going to turn into a teenager and then into an adult. And they're going, to have to, they're going to have to climb mountains on their own. And so us protecting them is really not doing them any good, which I think is the point, the woman you're describing. Yes, exactly. And also, this, the, I, I love this, what you're saying and the emotion behind it. You're, very, you're wearing it out on your sleeve of just, it's like what I'm reading is joy, fulfillment, the service of, of just seeing someone else bloom. And it's all latent. It's all been sitting there. Like anyone could do this. Like, Wonder if I have enough um, internet to go outside. Oh, you, you guys, you can't see them. You could see them, but your your listeners can't see them. But I see all the kids sitting around. They're eating breakfast right now. They have a little time off before the actual death race starts. And um, one of the the poems we had to memorize was, "Come to the edge, don't come to the edge. You may fall. Don't come to the edge. You may fall." So they came to the edge. He pushed them, and they flew. And that's, um, it was hard for them to understand in the beginning, but I think they're getting that they're about to fly. Man, and because people look at the stuff that I do, I'm translating all of what you're saying. And I hope, I recommend to the listeners, go back and if you weren't already doing it, listen to everything again. And what you're saying applies directly to acting and stewardship 
with the environment as well. I don't know if you were keeping track of that as you were speaking, but here's a question I ask a lot of people. Say one person gets on a flight and they fly around uh, to 10,000 miles away. Someone else gets on a bike, puts their tent on the back of the bike, and they go camping 100 miles away. Who traveled farther? I don't know if I'm going to answer the question well or not, but uh, I found over the last 25 years that when I go to someplace new and I bike it or run it or walk it, uh, it feels to me like I really got to know that place. Like I got to see every nook and cranny. I felt the pain of climbing those mountains. And um, and so the obvious answer for me would be the, the, the cyclist. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, it's much easier, not for you, I would guess, but for a lot of people, it's easier for them to choose Netflix over carrying a rock up a hill. And for most people, it's easier to pay for, pay the money and say, look, if I give you, if I give this airline this money, I'll get an adventure. It's harder to create your own adventure the first time, maybe even the second time, but eventually you learn how to create your own adventure. And then your life has, if, if we're, I mean, you could pick adventure, you could pick cultural exchange, you could pick cuisine, you could pick all these things. That- be, uh, you tell me, I mean, for me, my belief, obviously, you know the business I'm in, you know what I stand for. You have to be challenged a bit. You have to struggle a little bit. It just makes it so much more pleasurable, but people don't understand that. And, and saying it doesn't quite get it either because, I mean, people hear that and hear that and hear that and think, yeah, well, maybe tomorrow. And what I'm really good, I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm really good at, if you were here, if your listeners were here with me, I would suck you right up into where I, like I used to, I used to lie to people. In the early days, 20 years ago, I couldn't, I couldn't get them to sign up for a race, for an adventure with me. And so I would say, oh, we're having a barbecue this weekend. Would you mind, you want to come up? It would come up and I'd wake them up at five in the morning. They say, why? I'm looking at, sorry to interrupt, but the devious smile on your face, I just have to remark on it. <laughs> why, why would we get up at 5 a.m. for a barbecue? And I said, well, we got to carry the barbecue up the mountain. And I would turn it into, like, before you know it, they did 10 miles and they came for a barbecue. And you know, when you think about, here's another great one. I have a very, very, very successful uh, friend, family, family friend that I spend time with. And we go on vacation once a year and we went to Japan and they had all these wonderful hotels and sites and everything all set up. And we got taken around by a van and we were pampered. And I, there's two things I want to do because I knew Japan. Well, I lived in Japan and I said, Oh, we're going to go to the waterfall monks, mm-hmm. which sounded a little miserable. Like, what do you mean? Well, we're going to get in the waterfall, the ice cold waterfall with the waterfall monks. And then we're going to go to the marathon monks. We're going to do the court, right? The marath- I was, yeah. And those were the two most seemingly miserable parts of that 10 days in Japan. And when you ask that family, my friend and his children, those were the best parts. And we were freezing and we were lost and we were uh, running and out of breath and everything that could go wrong went wrong. And that was, that was the adventure. It wasn't, it wasn't being pampered and taken around to all these sites and everything. So I, I'm obviously in full alignment. Yeah, it reminds me that it's, actually you're adding something that I hadn't thought of that uh, people, there's all these articles on self-care during the lockdown. And research shows that people are terrible at predicting of what they're going to enjoy. You know, they think that they're going to like watching more and more movies on TV, but actually, you know, volunteering somewhere, they're going to walk away from that feeling much better, even though they don't feel like they want to do that. And exertion is another thing that is, uh, you know what my favorite thing? I love walking by Equinox. Okay. So all my exercises at home. And uh, so my ex-girlfriend had a uh, 
for some reason, she loves yoga at Equinox. So that's the, like the posh gym here in New York. I'm sure it's everywhere. And so I'm like, at the time she was doing Pilates. I was like, I didn't know what Pilates was. So she said, I got a free pass. We can go check it out. So I go do the Pilates and I'm like, that's kind of cool. Like I'm like twice the age of the average person there and I'm keeping up just fine. So now I know what, and, and I go to the gym and I, I use the weights there and stuff like that. But now it took me more time to go there and back than I do for like my morning and evening calisthenics. And she pays, do you know how much she pays? It's $240 a month. I haven't paid that much in 10 years. And I love walking by it because I feel so superior to them. The one advantage for thoughts on that. One is you probably find a better, give me a better word. I need a better word than clinical or sterile. But um, look, I, I was on Wall Street for a while, right? I, and I, so I understand um, commerce and uh, capitalism. And so we, as human beings, uh, become financially successful by, by selling things to each other. And so if I could create a quote-unquote system or an environment, Equinox, uh, a spin bike, whatever it may be, that you're going to buy, I do well. And, and then I put a little science behind it and I do better and more people buy them and I do even better. Mm-hmm. And so I am more of a Flintstone in the, in the sense that I want people carrying rocks up mountains, right? Sheets of plastic. A Spartan, if you will. Spartan, yeah. And, and yeah, exactly. And I think the fitness that you'll gain from that is even greater. And by the way, studies have been done. When you take somebody off that, off that bike or out of that gym, whatever, and you just do the same exact workout outside, you get about a 20% better result. They don't know why, but, uh-huh. but you do better outside. And I've seen, to your point, plenty of fit men and women that just do push-ups, crunches, you know, body weight exercise. You don't, you don't even need um, fancy stuff. However, however, I will tell you that you, you will go to level two on your own in, in the apartment. Once there's seven people around, you go to level seven. You don't even, you know what I mean? You just mm-hmm. naturally start going a little harder when there's people around. So there is a benefit to having other folks around. The perfect setup for me is uh, climbing a mountain with a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Throw on the shoulder. You're going to go a little faster for the next 10 steps. That's going to make me go a little faster. We're outside. The science says we're doing even better. We're not paying a, m- a monthly membership, but not everybody has a mountain in their backyard. You got me thinking, I know I'm not going to regret this, but I feel like I will. So I got, I'm, I'm on the fifth floor of my building and, on, and the rooftop is uh, what the penthouse is, I don't know, it's 15 floors. So I got 10 flights up. Stairs. So what I've been thinking about doing for a while is taking my rowing machine up to the roof and rowing up there. But now I'm thinking I should... Should I just carry it up the stairs the whole way? Absolutely. You should carry the rowing machine every morning up to 15 flights, set it up, row 1,000, 2,000 meters, whatever it is you do, 5,000 meters, and then, um, and then walk it back down. So I'm going to have, I mean, it's going to have to be two flights up because I'll have to take it apart or two trips up and down. But I love the idea of carrying this thing. I love the idea of carrying it up. Well, you're going to hear from me again on my report back. Yeah, I'm going to hear from you again. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate.
I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. Now I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to talk uh, environment with you if that's okay. Is the environment something that's important to you? Environment is very important to me. For those listeners, we're on a 700 acre farm here in Vermont. And so I love, I love this. I get physically ill when I'm looking at blacktop and cement. So what do you, what do you think about when you think about the environment? Like what motivates you? What? I think we're f***ing it up. I think it's a shame. I think um, the American Indians had it right. And um, I don't, I just, I can't verbalize it well. I think, you know, these young kids, they don't even know. They don't even know the environment. They haven't had an introduction to the environment. So how would they know how to take care of it? Right? So when you say environment, I mean, for some people, it's an ocean. For some people, it's a mountain. I mean, it sounds like, do you have images that come to mind? It's all of it. It's the earth. And um, I mean, I was in the ocean. uh, I told you I had to go down to Florida. I'm a little concerned with even swishing my mouth out in salt water in the ocean these days. Like, it's just really annoying that we've done this to ourselves and our environment. So I'm reading both a more than appreciation. I'm sensing awe or wonder mixed with there's something that's not so good when you're saying, I don't know if I can swish, put the stuff in my mouth, like a disappointment. It's disappointment, frustration. I should be able to go in the ocean. It should be as clean as, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? We did this? We did this because of, because we're just greedy and selfish. We are such short-term thinkers. Mm-hmm. That's why I was so impressed with Japan. The Japanese, um, they're really, really organized. They're obviously um, a well-populated country, uh, tight quarters in the cities, but um, you could eat off the floor in the subway. Like, I don't know. There's some, there's some things to pick up from the Japanese mm-hmm. and cultures around the world that are just clean. Uh, look, you, if you read Shogun, I understand it's fiction, right? But if you read Shogun, back in the 1400s, the, the setting was like, oh, my God, it's like clean here. Like they take care, they take pride. There's the word, right? They take mm-hmm. pride in uh, the stuff around them. And I don't know, I could remember as early, like growing up in the 70s, I could remember driving behind somebody in in a car with my mom and seeing people throw McDonald's wrappers out the window. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Howard Beach. There was a dump. I don't know if they called it the Fresh Kill. Fresh Kills, yeah. Staten Island. No, then I'm I'm confusing the two. There was a dump near our house in Howard Beach. And um, the incidence of cancer, my mother died of cancer, our sister died of cancer. Our aunts died. Of, like the incidence of cancer within a 15 mile radius of this dump was like off the charts. Mm-hmm. That's just short term, disgusting, selfish thinking. So, given these memories, these images, these feelings, I invite you at your option. You don't have to, but to think of something you could do to act on those things. And it a lot of people, when they hear this, they think, oh, what's the biggest thing I can do? And, and they, they disqualify themselves because they think, well, if I'm not saving the entire planet, it's not worth doing. And it's not, to, it's not about the world. It's about acting on your own value. And it just has to be something that you're not already doing, something that is not telling other people what to do, that you physically do it yourself. And it has some measurable effect. So it's not just awareness or education. And it doesn't have to be for a long time. It doesn't have to be big. It can be small. 
But if you're game for it, then I'd, I'd love to have you on a second time to hear how it went. Yeah, you know what we're going to do? Just uh, you, you, what we're going to do, because this will fit in selfishly with something I, I have to do anyway in my life. So it'll just get tucked right in is um, the next two weeks we're going to be in the, on the beach. Once these kids get done with this um, hell week, hell, hell two weeks, um, we're going to be on the beach. I think we'll go out every morning. And is just we, clean the your beach. Fa- you and your family or you and uh, the whole crew? As we'll do. Okay. So two weeks. So that sounds like I always want to make sure it's a smart goal, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound. And that sounds like it is. It's specific. It, it sounds perfect. Could we schedule a second conversation in, in a couple of weeks? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I suspect by mid-July, I'll be done with that project, which is great because what's great about it is I have this big rusty chain. And I could make the kids drag uh-huh. it on the beach as I'm looking for garbage to pick up. <laughs> so I can kill two birds with one stone. This is going to be one of the rare occasions when, uh, actually, it's not that rare anymore, but uh, people inspire me back to do things. Like, uh, have you had John Lee Dumas on your podcast, the, the Big Entrepreneur? As a result of him, I no longer jog, I plug. Because he, he cleaned up just, uh, garbage off the beach. And it's funny because like I was just jogging. Actually, now I'm near Ayala, I saw I was on your podcast. And he's got me, I went from minimal shoe running to now I'm just barefoot running. And so now I'm, I'm running barefoot, picking up garbage. This is all from the people I nice. talk to. And so now I'm going to be like probably barefoot carrying my rowing machine up the stairs. So I'll, I'll report back to you how that's gone for me. Now I was also thinking, I wonder if the kettlebells, if I could just leave them up there because they can get rained on. It would be, it would be difficult um, carrying, how heavy are the kettlebells? The big one's 70 pounds, I think. Yeah, it's going to be tricky for you. So, uh, is that not healthy or no, 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 it's great. I'm just saying carrying the, the, the concept. I mean, if it were me, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin your life here, uh-huh. but if it were me, I would carry the, the rower up, set it up. I would come down and then carry the kettlebells up. So then I have to go back to the two kettlebell workout instead of the, how many do I use now? I guess I use three most of the time. If you carry the 70 pounder up, that would be incredible. That'd be great. I'd probably just leave it. Maybe I'll just leave it up there and do my exercises up there. The rowing machine I use once every five days. Oh, no, I'm not using the rowing machine that much because I'm doing the outdoor rowing. The rowing machine's bigger in the winter because it's, yeah. I don't. As long as you're carrying something heavy up there every day, uh-huh. it's a win. It's a win. Oh, this would be really good. I appreciate your uh, inadvertently, or maybe it was intentional, I don't know, but making me think about this. <laughs> well, I'm going to have you on a second time. So I, I feel like I want to pick up here next time. That's fine. Uh, I'd like to wrap up by asking, is there anything I didn't think to ask or anything to, to say directly to listeners? <sighs> no, I think, I think we covered it. I think we covered everything. I think, I think you and I should focus on how we package this idea of doing hard stuff every day to make yourself better. You'll, you'll actually get along with the people around you better and you make the world a better place. I think, you'd be, I think you have more gratitude when you do hard shit. I think your day will be better. When you carry that 70-pound kettlebell to the top of the, the building, you get, your, you get your rowing machine up there, and you're probably cursing me a little bit. You get through it all, and then you jump in a cold shower. You're just going to be more appreciative of everything. The birds, the birds become clearer. Everything is going to be better. And so I think, we'd, I think we'd be a better planet if we did more of that. Joe DeSantis, thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. See ya. After we finished recording the audio, Joe picked up his laptop and started showing me through video around his team and the farm. 
I hit record just in time for him to find Henry, the kid that he talked about making that hard decision. Joe checked with Henry's parents for his permission and go to my site and watch the video to hear Henry's firsthand account of the struggle that Joe described. We all know that struggle. We can all learn from Henry and his, through his innocence, what most of us have sadly learned the opposite of, which is how to make better excuses. I shouldn't say better excuses, excuses that we believe ourselves more. And in Henry, there's this innocence that you hear not making that excuse and deciding to, to do it. Also, did you notice how fast Joe found a way to act on his commitment? I see this over and over again. People who do things do more things. People who associate leadership with telling others what to do, they miss the active element of leading oneself. Joe does things. Doing things teaches us to do things. We learn how to initiate, take responsibility, find the pleasure in doing things, find the disgust and disappointment in watching life pass us by if we don't do things, waiting for others to do things. And you hear that it's infectious. So you'll hear from me what it's like carrying my kettlebells and rowing machine up and down 10 or however many flights of stairs. So I look forward to hearing about Joe and his rusty chain and picking up garbage from the beach. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.